This section of scripture is extremely powerful if we'll allow it to be in our lives. Of all of the scripture, Genesis through Revelation, I don't know of a section that's more practical for the way that we'll live. This section of scripture will change our lives. What have we seen already in the book of Philippians? We've seen that in chapter one, that God is gonna be faithful to complete that good work that he has started in us. Jesus is a great beginner, but he's also a great finisher. He's going to complete the good work that he started in us and in others. Also, the Apostle Paul, he shared that he's in prison, and the fact that he is in prison has actually taken place for the furtherance of the gospel. This is not happen chance. God is the author, he's sovereign. And has allowed Paul to be in prison for the opportunity to be able to share the gospel. Our circumstances are leading to the opportunities to be able to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. We also saw our foundational verse is for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. This was the challenge from last week's Bible study is that our life would be Christ, that our mindset would be Jesus, that Jesus is our portion. He's everything that we're living for. For me to live is Christ. The coronavirus can't affect or take away Jesus from us. So now as we get into chapter two, we focus on others. Paul challenges us to put others before ourselves. The outline for the book of Philippians is Jesus others you. When we do life in that order, we find joy. It's important for us to understand that the biblical mandate for joy is not optional. A lot of times for us to be joyful, we think that our circumstances have to be going our way. However, we can choose to be joyful in who God is. And that's what the apostle Paul is doing. He is being joyful in his relationship with Christ. He's choosing to put other people before himself, even though he's in a tremendous amount of suffering. Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, any comfort of love, any fellowship of the Spirit, any affection and mercy. If you're taking notes tonight, there's four realities, number one, that demand a response. Four realities here that demand for us to have a response. Paul puts it this way and he says, if there is any consolation in Christ, that's the first reality. Is there comfort in Christ? Absolutely. Jesus was a man of sorrows. He's acquainted with grief. He knows exactly what we're going through and what we're struggling with. So there is consolation in Christ. There is comfort in Christ. That's the first reality. The second, any comfort of love. Is there comfort of love in Jesus? Does Jesus provide comfort and love to us? Absolutely. It's a comfort that no other thing can compare to. It's the comfort that God provides. It's the love that God provides. His unconditional, unfailing love. The next reality is, is there fellowship of the Spirit? Do we have fellowship with the Holy Spirit? Yes, we do. We absolutely have fellowship with the Spirit. The Spirit of God lives inside of us and is our comfort and our helper. And then any affection and mercy. In Christ, is there affection? Is there passion? Yes, he has passion towards us. And he also has mercy for us, everlasting love for us. 
These realities, you might be asking, why is it not written with the word sense instead of the word love? Since there's consolation in Christ, since there's comfort of love, since there's fellowship of the Spirit, since there's affection and mercy. Paul is asking rhetorical questions to cause us to stop and think about it. Sometimes as a parent, we may put it this way and we say, is that the way to treat your sister? We know where we're directing them with that question and Paul's doing the same thing. He's wanting us to focus on these things, focus on these four realities that then demand a response from us. If these things are true, consolation in Christ, comfort and love, fellowship of the Spirit, and affection and mercy, then this is how we are to respond. This is the exhortation. Fulfill my joy being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. So the four realities are responded with four things. First, fulfill my joy and be like-minded. The Apostle Paul wants the church to be like-minded. When the church is like-minded, then Paul's joy will be fulfilled. One thing to keep in mind is that Paul is really writing to address an issue that comes up in chapter 4, and it's two women that are fighting in the church of Philadelphia, and Philippi, excuse me. And Paul wants these two women, Eodia and Syntyche, to get along, and he's laying the foundation here. He's laying the work here to ultimately address this issue that they're not walking in the unity of the Lord. And since there's consolation in Christ and comfort in his love, the first thing that we're to do, the first thing that we're to respond with is to be like-minded. We're able to be on the same page. How are we able to be on the same page? Well, we know we're going to heaven. We know we're loved by God. We know we want to see lost people come to know Christ their Savior. We know that the Spirit of God lives inside of us. And so we're to choose to be of the same mind. It's really powerful when there's a group of people that are of the same mind, when they're on the same page, when they're living for Christ and wanting to accomplish God's will and God's agenda. And so we're to adopt this mindset of being like-minded. And then we're to have the same love, to love one another with the love that God loves us, to be able to express the love of God to each other. Being of one accord speaks of, of unity. We're in harmony together. We're of one mind. So the exhortation is for us to walk in unity, to walk in love. So if you were to picture all of these if statements, these four if statements that were listed for us, they're leading to the application of being like-minded, to be in agreement The way that this is done, the way that we're able to be of one mind, is found here in verse 3. It says, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. So point number two is to a freeing challenge to be lived by. If we will take this challenge and we will live by it, it will change and transform our lives. Our days will be moved from a place of despair to a place of joy by putting 
others before ourselves. But first, it's a negative. It's what we're not to do. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. No thing is to be done through selfishness or conceit or pride. You think about how selfishness hurts our relationship with God and destroys relationships with one another. What is the great damager or wrecking ball of a marriage? You might think adultery, and that's true, but ultimately selfishness is the greatest damager or wrecking ball of marriages because adultery is ultimately an expression of selfishness. And selfishness runs really deep in our hearts and in our minds. You look at a young child, you look at a toddler, and you never have to teach a toddler how to be selfish. Those words, me and mine, come so easily. And if we're not careful, if we don't crucify our selfishness, we go throughout our days serving ourselves and expecting others to serve us as well. And that hurts our relationship with God. It hurts our relationship with others. Nothing will be more damaging than selfishness. This is then followed by conceit. And conceit's the motivator of selfishness. Pride is the motivator of selfishness, esteeming ourselves better than we ought. And the answer to selfishness and the answer to conceit is found at the end of verse 3. But in lowliness of mind, let us... Each esteem others better than himself. So we're to have a humble mindset of ourselves, understanding our own weakness, understanding our own sin and our own shortcomings. We need to know that we're forgiven and to walk in the forgiveness of God, but we also need to be reminded of all of the sin that God has saved us from. There is plenty in my life to provide enough material for humility. The same is true in your life. There's plenty of material to provide humility. We've sinned. We've fallen short. We continue to struggle and sin and to fall short. So this is to be our mindset. This is why I chose the book of Philippians right now and paused our Through the Bible study. As we are being challenged with this coronavirus, it's so important with our thoughts that we take our thoughts captive to Christ. And Paul mentions the mind 10 times in the book of Philippians. You could see how he would easily struggle with his thoughts as he was sitting in prison, and he had to make sure that his thoughts were directed towards Christ, that his thoughts were directed towards esteeming others better than himself, to have lowliness of mind. This is a way of thinking, is to have a lowliness of mind. When we have this lowliness of mind, then that leads to esteeming others better than ourselves. God really wants us to be living this way. Whoever's presence that you're in, or as you're with your family and your friends, your coworkers, whoever you're with, and right now it may be through a Zoom call or online, but to actually esteem them, put them above yourself, care for their needs above your own needs. And this is the challenge that God wants us to live by. This is described for us in verse 4. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. 
So it's good to care for and about your own interests. This is not to the neglect of your own interests, but it is to care for other people's interests the way that you care for your own. So if you were to think of two circles, and you've got your interests, but then you also have the interests of others, and there's this like-minded agreement as you're choosing to serve one another. Put other people's needs before your own. Esteem them above yourself. As we're spending more time with family, it may be causing our selfishness to rear its ugly head. We may be going through our days serving ourselves instead of serving Christ and putting other people's needs before our own. Make this practical and think about, well, how do I like to be treated? How do I like people to care for me? How do I like people to speak to me? And I want to make sure and to care for others the way that I desire to be cared for. Jesus put it this way, to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so we care for ourselves. We make sure that our needs are are met. I make sure that I get coffee in the morning and make sure that I get, get rest. And to care for my wife in that way. What are her needs? And to put her needs before my own. To put my kids' needs before my own. And this is a real change of thinking from the way that most of us live. It's an affront to our daily routine. But God wants to change things up. He wants us to get to the place of being a servant and being willing to put other people's needs before our own. I've got to tell you, the fastest way to be depressed and be living in discouragement is to put yourself first. As we put ourselves first and think about ourselves, it's this slow downward spiral that leads to more and more discouragement. But when we put others' needs before our own, then it lifts us up and it puts us into a place of of joy. I'm sure you've experienced this in your life where you focused on Christ and then you focused on others. Maybe even in the midst of this coronavirus, you've decided to serve and to bless others and you walk away from that having joy. It's the way that God designed us. It's better to give than to receive. Go look for people in need and meet those needs and you'll find yourselves being filled with joy. Paul could have played the victim as he was in prison, wanted people to feel sorry for him, but instead he looked around the prison and he found people to be able to serve. We're really now going to get into the meat of the text this evening, and it's point number three, and it's a tremendous example to follow, and it's the example of Christ. Right now, if you feel comfortable, uh, would you share with us somebody that has been a good example of this in your life? Somebody who has served and put other people's needs before their own. And if you do feel comfortable, just say, yeah, my mom, she really serves others or my husband or my coworker and and put down a name there of somebody who's been a great example to you in serving and putting other people's needs before their own. And share that with us in the comments in the chat. We're going to focus now on Christ and his example of serving and putting other people's needs before his own. 
In verse five, it says, this, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Have you ever wondered, what was Christ's mindset? How did he think as he went through his life and through his days? What, what was his thinking? And here we're told by the Apostle Paul that he had the mindset of esteeming others and putting other people's needs before his own. So if you're wrestling with this a little bit tonight and you're saying, you know, I don't want to serve others. I don't know if it's really worth it to esteem others better than myself. Well, Jesus thought that it was worth it to esteem others better than himself. He went throughout his days not looking for how he could be served, but to be able to serve others. He didn't come to be served, but he came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this example of Christ and the way that he thought and the way that he lived begins with his deity in verse 6. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. This is a clear statement that Jesus is God. It was right for him to consider himself to be equal with the Father because he is. When we look at the service of Christ and all that Christ was willing to do in his humanity, we first have to look at his deity. If you feel like you're too great to serve or you're too powerful to serve or too big to serve, Jesus is God. Jesus is the creator of the universe. He spoke all things into existence. Think about that for just a moment. Jesus said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus spoke the stars into existence, all the vegetation, all the animals. He's God. He never sinned. Nothing is impossible for him. Absolute power. He was in the form of God. He didn't consider it robbery to be equal with God. It wasn't wrong for him to say that he was equal with the Father because he is equal of the Father. But then notice what Christ did. But he made himself of no reputation, taking on the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. Jesus emptied himself. He made himself of no reputation. He was born of the Virgin Mary. He was a refugee to Egypt. He was a carpenter. He was rejected. He was mocked. He made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. We hold on to our reputation. We want people to think well of us. We don't want people to think that we're weak or that we struggle. But Jesus, in his servanthood, in his willingness to lay his life down, he made himself of no reputation. He didn't hold on to his reputation. In this heart of emptying himself, the Bible says that he took on the form of a bondservant and came in the likeness of men. Jesus, the creator, for the sake of serving, came in human flesh and was born in Bethlehem. The creator was dependent upon his creation. Mary, this young teenager, had to nurse and care for Jesus. If she didn't nurse and care for Jesus, Jesus would die and, and pass away. So he has all authority, he has all power, he has all might, and he humbles himself and he comes in human flesh. 
as a bondservant, as a slave by choice. Jesus chose to be a slave. So we have God coming in human flesh as a servant, one who lived in obscurity, one who cared for the needs of others. We find Jesus in John 13 washing the feet of the disciples right before he was crucified. In fact, he even washed the feet of Judas, who would betray him, washed the feet of Peter, who would deny him. So Jesus came and he met needs. And the feet of the disciples were dirty. And Jesus washed their feet. This was normally normally the task of the servants in the house. They would wash the feet. And Jesus is literally taking on the job of the servants. What are the jobs in your home that no one likes to do? Taking out the trash, doing the dishes, doing the laundry. Those are the things that Jesus would be doing to bless those that lived around him. Jesus told us to go and wash feet and to follow his example, that his joy could be made full in our lives. So look around for needs. Look around for those that you can bless. Jesus served. He served to the point of allowing the little children to come to him. The disciples were asking, who's the greatest? And Jesus said, bring the little children to me. And he says, if you can receive the kingdom of God as these children, you are the greatest. So Jesus was one who loved and served kids. Jesus was one who washed the feet of the disciples. He made himself of no reputation. He came as a servant, came in the likeness of men. But this is not the end of his humility. So God in human flesh, God as a servant washing feet. But then read with me in verse eight. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. God became man, and man, as a man, he became obedient to the death of the cross. He chose to obey the Father in being willing to go to the cross. Jesus, in his care for others, was crucified for our sin. So God and human flesh, God and human flesh as a servant, as a servant obedient even to the death of the cross. He was spit upon. The crown of thorns was placed in his head. His hands and his feet were nailed to the cross. His back was beaten and was whipped. He took on our sin, took the spiritual punishment for our sin. He became the propitiation for our sin, which means he appeased the the wrath of God for our sin all because of obedience to the Father. This is the willingness in which that he was compelled to serve. This mindset of loving and caring for others, of saying, I'm gonna put other people's needs before my own. So for us tonight, we see this tremendous example that Christ would love us and serve us to this degree, to this level, that he would leave the comfort of heaven to become a man placed in a manger, 
living his life as a servant, meeting other people's needs, and this willingness to serve, taking him to the cross. This is just an example, and it's the best that I can do, and it doesn't even begin to come close of what Christ has done for us. But what if you got to heaven, and the Father says, look, I've got an assignment for you. I want you to go and take on the form of an ant because I love these ants and serve these ants and lay your life down as an ant. And eventually these ants are going to come against you and they're going to crucify you. They're going to tear you from limb from limb. But I want you to make that sacrifice for them because I love and care for these ants. We'd probably go, no way. I've been waiting to get to heaven. There's no way that I'm going to humble myself and come in the form of an ant. But what Jesus has done for us is even far greater than that. What does the world do with power? Unbelievers. When unbelievers have power, is they demand that everyone serves them. And Jesus calls this Gentile leadership, lording over. Maybe you've had those type of leaders in your life, or even maybe have been a leader like that, where you you go, look, I've got the power, so I'm just going to demand that everybody does what I say. But Jesus says that the greatest serve, leadership is actually to serve, that we're to serve everyone, to serve those that are above us and below us at, at work, to serve our families, to meet needs, because this is the way that Christ, Christ lived. And church, this is what leads to joy. This is what causes us to be able to have joy. This is how God has designed us. It's difficult for me to communicate how important this is. But if we go through our lives and we're simply selfish and selfish and selfish and selfish, there will be no joy. But if we choose to serve, if we put Christ first and we put others first, and we say, I'm going to take on the position of being a bondservant, I'm going to meet needs. I'm willing to go to the cross for others, for others' benefit. I'm willing to die so that others could live. Then that's going to bring joy into our lives. And this is something that will really change relationships. It's really going to flip things around. We need to hear this and we need to be reminded of this, that our selfishness needs to be crucified with Christ. It needs to be buried. We need to choose to put other people's needs before our own, to choose to listen to them, to choose to serve them, to choose to walk alongside of them. In verse 9, notice as Christ humbled himself to this point where he was willing to serve and he was willing to go to the cross in obedience to the Father. In verse 9, therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. So the Father has exalted the name of Jesus, and the name of Jesus is above every other name. Whenever you see the name of Jesus or the name of God referred to in the scripture, it's referring to the character and nature of who Jesus is. So the character and the nature of Jesus is above every other name. And I want to proclaim that to you tonight. I want you to hear that tonight. Jesus is far greater than anyone who has ever been in existence. What I've just mentioned, for him to humble himself, 
to come and lay his life down upon the cross, God in human flesh, there's no greater love. There's no greater service. There's nothing greater. And the Father has exalted the name of Jesus above every name. Whatever you're looking for in a human relationship, it ultimately is found in Jesus because there's no other name that's exalted above the name of Jesus. In verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven, of those on earth, and those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Part of the exaltation of Christ is that every knee will bow in submission to Christ. Notice there's three locations of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. So who are those in heaven? Those are believers that already have died and gone home to be with the Lord. They are bowing their knee before Jesus as they see Jesus acknowledging the greatness of who Christ is. Those on earth, every... Knee will bow of those that are on earth. That's us. Here we are, we have our lives, and this is our opportunity to bow down before Christ and to acknowledge the greatness of who he is. The third category, for those who are under the earth, this refers to those that are in hell. Those that have rejected Christ as their savior throughout their life and never bowed their knee to Jesus and confessed him as Lord. And I've got to tell you tonight that heaven is very real, but also hell is real. And Jesus talked about hell more than he did heaven. And what causes somebody to go to hell? Jesus told us it's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Well, what is the the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? It's to reject that Jesus is God because the job of the Holy Spirit is to point us to Jesus. So if you reject the Holy Spirit, not once or twice, but throughout the course of your whole life, if you reject Jesus, reject Jesus, reject Jesus, you've ultimately blasphemed the the Holy Spirit. And that's what causes someone to go to hell, is the rejection of Jesus Christ over the course of a lifetime. So you maybe up until this point have been rejecting Christ. You said, I'm not gonna bow my knee to Jesus. I'm not gonna confess that Jesus is Lord. Well, I would beg with you that you would change your position because if you choose to repent and believe and confess, guess what? You're going to heaven. You're not going to hell. And that's God's desire. He wants to save you. It's not a matter of if you're going to bow your knee to Christ and confess with your mouth that he's Lord. The question is when? Will you do it in this life or will you do it in eternity when it's too late? The Bible teaches what we choose to do with Jesus in this life determines whether we go to heaven or we go to hell. There will be people that have rejected Jesus and said no to Jesus and said, I don't believe in him. They get into eternity they see Christ at the great white throne judgment and they will bow their knee and confess their mouth to Christ, but it will be too late. The message of verse 10 and 11 is that Jesus is so great, that he's so wonderful, that he had all power, but yet he chose to come and serve, taking on the form of a man 
living his life as a servant, going to the cross for our sins. He died and rose again, that he is exalted above every name, that every tongue that's ever been created is going to confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee that has ever been designed by God is going to bow before Jesus and declare that he is Lord. The question, is it too late? So right now, I want to give you an opportunity. I want you to have the chance to receive Christ as your Savior. Even before putting others before yourself, you need to make a decision with Jesus. Possibly you've been saying no to Christ and no to Christ. It's not for me. I'm not for sure. And tonight I want you to hear that Jesus loves you, that he loves you to the point where he left the comfort of heaven, that he came as a baby, lived a perfect life, served as a carpenter, served the disciples, loved those that hated him, went to the cross out of obedience of the Father so that he could win your heart and he could win your mind. He demonstrated his love towards you while you were still a sinner. So how do you receive that free gift? You repent of sin and you believe that Jesus died and rose again. Confess him as Lord, Jesus your Lord, and invite him to be your savior. If you've never made that decision, would you choose to right now? Would you let the pastors and ministry team know I'd like to receive Christ as my savior? I'm ready to bow my knee before Christ and confess with my mouth that Jesus is is Lord. He's Lord. Go to the comments, go to the chat. I'm ready to receive Christ as my Savior. As you're listening right now, you can get on your knees before the Lord and you can confess Him as Lord. Believe that He died for your sins and He rose again. I want to lead you in a prayer, give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Savior, and then I have some application for us as believers. But if you'd like to receive Christ, would you get on your knees right where you're at, make sense to you, and trust Christ for salvation. Pray this prayer with me. Jesus, I believe that you're God, that you died for my sins and rose again. I repent of my sin and receive the free gift of salvation. I invite you to be the Lord of my life. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. Father, I thank you for those that have responded to the gospel, that have chosen not to wait. And Lord, I just pray that you would bless them, that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit. And God, we ask right now that your Holy Spirit would do a work in our hearts as believers. We're deeply selfish and we're deeply flawed. We want to live in joy. We want to live focused upon you, Jesus, putting other people's needs before our own. So Holy Spirit, come do a work in us. In Jesus' name, amen. Believers, I'd like to speak directly to you for a few moments in applying this of putting other people's needs before our own. I don't know why it took me so long, but this weekend as I was here teaching in the sanctuary, it hit me that a lot of people that have been dying of the coronavirus didn't know Christ as their Savior. I don't know how many. I'm sure that there were 
a lot that do know Christ their Savior and they've gone home to be with the Lord. But no doubt that there has been some that have died that weren't ready to go home to be with the Lord and they went to hell. On Saturday night, I read an article that said 630 people died in New York just on Saturday. And it hit me, of those 630, how many of them knew Christ as their Savior? Church, we have a job to do. And to esteem others better than ourselves is to let them know of the love of Jesus. To let them know that Jesus died for their sins and rose again. To be committed to telling people the gospel. That God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believes in him should not perish but but have everlasting life. So may God make us bold with his message. This is a way to to love people. We don't know when we're going to step into eternity, but we don't know when others around us are going to step into eternity. They could easily get the coronavirus or cancer or die in a car accident, but we do know they're going to go to eternity. And do we love them enough to share Jesus with them, that Jesus loves them and died for them? And then also, church, brother and sister in Christ, is I would encourage us to go back and reread this section of scripture. Because this will change your marriage. This will change your relationship with kids. This will change your relationship with the body of Christ. This will change your relationship with your neighbors, your coworkers. If we will choose to follow Jesus' example and to wash feet. If we will choose to say, I'm going to adopt the mindset, I'm going to think the way that Jesus thought, and I'm going to choose to serve others. I'm going to choose to think about their needs. What's my spouse's needs? What are my kids' needs? What's my neighbor's needs? What are my parents' needs? My brothers and sisters? What are the needs of those in the body of Christ? And I'm going to begin to, to serve them. And don't wait for the warm fuzzies to start serving. What do I mean? Don't, don't wait until you have all of the feelings for service. Or say, when my spouse starts serving me, I'm going to start serving them. When my church starts serving me, I'm going to start serving them. But to say, Christ was the ultimate servant. And this is the way that he is calling me to live my life. How's this working for the world? Those that don't know the Lord, they serve themselves. We're not to be in the image of the world. We're to be transformed. And the world is lost, the world's depressed, the the world's looking for answers. And I know that this is tremendously simplistic, but it's so powerful. If we choose to put our eyes on Jesus, make him our life, and serve others, we're going to have joy. So even before you go to bed tonight, is seek out someone you can serve, someone you can call, a need that you can meet, someone that you can pray for. And as you serve, you're going to find yourself having joy. So church, we love you. We're praying for you. I hope the book of Philippians is an encouragement to your soul. So Father, We thank you for our time together in your word. We ask that you would bring it to life through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
that we would choose to put our focus on Jesus, that we would choose to put other people's needs before our own and to truly walk in joy. We thank you for those that have responded to the gospel. We pray that you would bless them tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.